and welcome to the 77th episode of The Sausage Factory, which is brought to you by Spong.com and hosted by me, Chris O'Regan. In this show, we interview video game developers and ask them how they made their start making games, what their influences are and who inspires them. Split into two halves, the show initially focuses on the developer themselves, and in the second half we discuss the game they're here to promote, which in this case is Mushroom 11 by Untamed Games. Julia Anite, who are you? What do you do? Hey. Hey, how are you doing? Yeah, you go first. All right. Uh, <laughs> I'm Julia. I am a game designer and uh, artist and marketing and PR person now. <laughs> and uh, my name is Itai. I am uh, the uh, creator of uh, Mushroom 11. I'm a designer and a programmer. And uh, with the help of uh, Julia, we... We just uh, we finished uh, Mushroom 11 and just released it a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. And we also have two other people, uh, Simon Kono and Kara Kono, uh, who are our artists. Simon is our artist and Kara is our producer. Excellent stuff. Thank you very much for that. And it's, I, I do apologize. I'm very British, so we stress different vowels. Oh, no, don't yeah. worry about that. <laughs> I always say that I, I accept any pronunciation, I, I, as long as you mean well. Yes. I mean, I could have, I could have just said Dave. That's like, fine. That, well, yeah, exactly. I accept that, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, we Brits, we do stress different vowels, like leisure time. Hang on. What? Yeah, yeah. No, we don't stress the IE. It's just, just like really soft. Off it goes. Leisure. Um, yeah. So, anyway... Um, Language is fascinating. It is not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about um, how you made your start doing this flashy lighty video games. We call it flashy lighty video games because we we at Spong also cover tabletop stuff as well sometimes. So we'd have to differentiate for our listeners. Like it's not about tabletops. So nothing wrong with tabletop, far from it. But it is yeah. about the things on the screens. Um, so how did you make your start doing that? Are you talking about the game itself or games? No, your your you you your professional career as a video uh, game creator. No, we're, we're going to talk about Mushroom Eleven in the second half of the show. Right now, we want to know about you. All right. So <laughs> for me, I I used to um, you know I started as a programmer, kind of like experimenting with code <laughs> as a kid and stuff okay. like that. Right. And I always made games when I was uh, very young, but. Uh, as it happens, you know, sometimes you make some detours in your career, and I kind of went um, into server development uh, for a, a long time. You know, I was making uh, the servers for a certain instant uh, messenger called ICQ. <gasps> I remember ICQ. Yeah, that was so- that was just like the anchor point around. A lot of things. I was playing uh, old MMOs that don't only really exist anymore, and we used to use that as a focal point of our interaction and stuff. It was cool. I yeah, miss that. Cool. Yeah, that was cool. Carry on. Sorry. I miss that. No, 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 I miss that too. It's, uh, it's, um, and and the thing is, somehow, and I'm very proud of, of you know, the, the servers and the software, uh, but you know, I. I kind of wanted to go to do the things that I always wanted to do before, and I kind of started shifting myself towards uh, games. Uh, I worked for another company and then eventually opened uh, Untamed um, and then moved to the U.S. and uh, met Julia and here we are, basically. 
<laughs> so where, where are you from originally? I'm guessing Israel, isn't it? Yes, you you guessed right. Because yeah, um, I remember that's that when said, oh yeah, I he's made from Israel, and ignorant yeah. me going, really? You just expect San Francisco or somewhere on the west coast, but Israel, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it, there's a there's a very a high concentration of uh, software companies, especially in like the in in Tel Aviv. Right. And, um, so. Um, almost nothing, even, even to date, there's a very, very few game companies there, but it's mostly a lot of services and, and, uh, and g- general, uh, you know, startups and high tech and stuff like that. Why do you uh, think that is? Why don't you think there's much of a game development community in, in Israel? Just put it out there. Any particular? Uh, that's, that's a, I think it's almost, you, you need to kind of go into the characteristics of, of, uh, of the, you know, try, starting from very, very, um, uh, narrow, you know, uh, uh, rough beginnings and trying to make something out of yourself and, uh, with usually very, very, uh, little support. Right. And things that are, um, you know, now that I'm in, in games, I can tell you that this is not necessarily the best way to, Necessarily make a living, you know, make a make. No. Um, so a lot of the things that you do, especially well in startup startups in general, they are focused on on money um, and on, on revenues, obviously. So uh, a lot of people, and also because of the cost of living there and and all, and all that, it's very hard to just go and try to be uh, financially viable when you do something that's uh, completely artistic. Right. Uh, so I think that's part of it. Um, I, but it, it is changing. Also, the the atmosphere. Is, I mean, there's there's more money in games for certain games anywhere for certain markets. So mm-hmm. there are more game companies everywhere now. So I think that's that's changing there as well. Okay. But I, I moved to New York uh, seven years ago. Um, okay. And uh, basically, that's that's when Untamed came to be, and we're still very small, obviously, uh, just uh, just us. So it's, uh, but you know, it's pretty obvious that we're not doing it for, we're not doing it for the money. We're not no. doing something that we really enjoy and we're proud of, and hopefully it shows. And it comes out. I'm not going to say that because I'm talking to you now, but it really does come out when I'm playing Mushroom Eleven. Thank that, you. That, that game is just full of joy. Even if it is the, the story is pretty dark, it's still full of joy. Somehow there's this juxtaposition between the two. Um, but we'll talk about that later. But yeah. Um, <laughs> thanks for What about you, Julia? Where did you make your start doing this um, gamey stuff? Uh, I didn't get into games until much later. Uh, okay. I, didn't, I didn't grow up with a console. Uh, right. So I have a very different experience with games. Like I'd always have to like beg my friends to like let me play because it was always at their house and I think part of like you know like I missed like you know the 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 Nintendo 64 and like it's always been a little like thing in the back of my mind like I always wanted one and I've never never was able to get my hands on one um but I did get my start in uh PC gaming so my you know I got a computer when I was older and I was able to like get things like Myst and Heroes 2 of Might and Magic and stuff like that so and I loved those games so much so uh early 90s PC games were like my sort of you know first start in 
uh, games. And <clears throat> I just sort of put it in the back of my mind for a while. I went to art school actually to be a ceramics major. So like completely <laughs> different. And, uh, you know, I was like sitting in the computer room, you know, cause you have like, you, you have to take you know, pictures of your artwork and stuff. And then I, I noticed that they were like, you know, this, there was this application called flash and it reminded me a lot about like, you know, making mist or making these old games that I really enjoyed. And I started picking up, uh, flash back when it was like micromedia and <laughs> there was like director and like, it was like years and years ago. Um, but I started to make these little, little mini game experiences and I really, really enjoyed it. And then I just got sort of blossomed into that. Then I started making flash games and then I, you know, I went to GDC for the first time. I got into casual games uh, right after school, uh, and then I was in a casual game studio for a number of years. Um, and that's where I actually uh, I met Simon and Kara. Uh, they also worked at the same company, at the studio, for a long time together. I think we worked like six or seven years together. Uh, and then um, they decided to, you know, quit because they wanted to travel the world and like go on this crazy adventure with their savings, sort of like see the world kind of bucket list thing. And we loved their art and we tried to get it, you know, them to, to work on the game. And we sort of brought up the Northways as like people who like travel the world and still make video games. Um, but anyway, yeah, so I, I ended up leaving that studio and, and joining Hitai on uh, Mushroom 11. And that's sort of how it all worked out. <laughs> so this is your first title then? Fantastic. Um, uh, as, as a full-fledged game, and you've, you've finished it, which is an amazing feat. <laughs> well, this is our second. It's our second game working together. Uh, yeah. We did something called Rope Rescue before, which was a mobile game. Okay. A bit more, it was puzzly, but a bit more casual. Right. Um, I think both because we were coming out of casual game yeah. Uh, industries. Yeah, and and that one we definitely like worked together almost uh, completely and solely uh, on that mm-hmm. one. You did the art, I did the the you know coding art and design. Okay. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's very interesting working on uh, a game together uh, inside a, a committed relationship. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, we were we did talk a little bit before the show. We don't normally talk about personal stuff here, but you know, <laughs> um, that that's uh, some people say it's a very bad idea. It's like never work with your family because bad things happen. Uh, but um, no, it's uh, it, like I said. It's an extraordinary game. I mean, we're going to talk about it later on, but uh, a lot of love is um, exuded from it when you play it. It's um, and it, God, it's addictive. Um, Thank it, you. It pulled me away from a lot of other stuff I was supposed to be doing, which is a good thing and a bad thing. I don't know. <laughs> I really should be doing my laundry now. But just one more level, Chris. I really need to do this ironing. I really. <laughs> so you know, ever mounting pile of ironing and playing your game. So, I mean. It's quite interesting to hear you've gone from very different backgrounds uh, to international stuff. And um, I just like, I just want to throw, I don't know why this question popped into my head. I just want to know is that, I mean, what's your uh, interaction or opinion of like other um, communities? Like London has a very large indie community. Do you have any interaction with that? I mean, UK has had a very, very, very long and storied um, development um, community for for decades um any any opinion on that any, any interaction do you have any support do you is there any like i just i'm just curious is there anything like that 
there's a yeah, there's a a lot of support and and developers in New York. I think New York is really fascinating because uh, it's so diverse. Right. Um, I feel like other cities they're a bit more not necessarily narrow focused, but they're more centralized on you know being full time indie devs or supporting full time indie devs. And I feel like in New York we have that as well, but it's also like we have the art scene, which is like there's something called Baby Castles, which is like gallery meets video game like indie video games so it's like installation art and like crazy like you know physical games meets weird controllers so we so we have that which is awesome and then we have a lot of people who do hobby games and they're not necessarily interested in making any money or a living as indie developers but they just they want to do it and it's something you know they're they're like bankers or you know marketing people and they want to do indie games in their free time and they go to a lot of events and then we have uh the New York uh University Game Center which is sort of a big kind of hub between all these different people like people who do it full time people who do it for art reasons people who do it for hobby and they provide a lot of resources a lot of like you know free talks and events and you know demos and um so it's really it's really great here. Fantastic, because when you say that, I've heard this and it's the, I'm embarrassed to admit it's something that never really occurred to me until very recently. It's okay to make games for the sake of making games. Yeah. It, it, it sounds like, because it's so drummed yeah. into you that the purpose of making a game is to sell it. <clears throat> but yeah, in no, many cases, it's actually not. <laughs> it's really fascinating to see, you know, everybody's different approach in making it. And then another thing that comes out of it, which is really great, is just the amount of diversity. Like once you embrace like a bunch of people who are like, hey, I just want to like try my luck with hobby, you know, with making a video game. And I don't yeah. necessarily care if it's like the most polished or fun. I'm just trying to play around with it and learn it and see what I can do. Then you start to, to get all different cool people like in your community, like so many people from different backgrounds and different ages and different races and that's there's something really great about seeing that and seeing that community grow even if it is just like hey I just want to make a game to figure out how to make a game yeah for the, for the sake of doing it yeah and I think the fact that all these new tools are all coming out like you know uh, Unity which has now got ridiculous and if you combine that with C Sharp if you're really clever um, it, and of course Game Maker which was out on <laughs> Humble, Bundle, uh, Humble Bundle the other week um, yeah, it was amazing. They just released Game Maker with Humble Bundle. Like, what are you doing? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah just have it. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I just love telling this story. I've heard it, I've said it before on other shows. Apologies, regular listeners. But, you know, the fact that Hotline Miami was made using Game Maker still blows my mind. Spelunky um, as well. The early version of Splunky. Yes, Splunky as well. Yes. Yeah. Slightly less violent game. Good. <laughs> um, although that was, you know, Hotline Miami is one of my personal favourites of recent times. So we've established where you've made your start, where your backgrounds are. What are you, your influences as creators? What do you think? What do you believe is the thing that um, you gravitate towards most when you're making your games? Yeah. Uh, Oh yeah, oh, yeah. It's a it's a big one. It's a uh, big question, and it's very hard to answer. And I try to help, but it's I don't really, know. yeah. <laughs> it's it's well. The thing is, um, you know, we we all have like the things that interest us in, um, well, generally in like what we like to you know what we like to watch, read, what we believe in, and all that, and and that ends up, um, you know, that you can you can. 
put all these things into your games. But generally speaking, I think that what interests me as a as a game maker is um, is very interesting mechanics that I'm enjoying as as the as I'm enjoying making them rather than I mean not just playing them. It's like for me, making a game is like a challenge that I put uh, for myself. Uh, like this is my game. My game is making a good game. You know what I mean? It's like um, coming up with new puzzles, coming up with new stories, coming up with new uh, um, uh, artistic ideas. So it's like my own challenge that I put for uh, for myself. And you know, obviously, um, uh, Julia has uh, their her own uh, challenges in it. Um, so. You know the the way. Uh, well, again, we'll talk about the game later. But this game started from a specific mechanics that was um, just very, very uh, uh, rough. And just taking this core thing and making it into a game. It's like once you know that this is something you want to do, then you can apply all your life into it, all your thoughts and 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 you know fears, whatever. And and you can build whatever you want as long as you enjoy. It doing so. It's like I I experience the, the game that I make as a maker and I think um, I think that kind of uh, uh, shines through uh, or hopefully it does and, uh, and and I just use the I even use the mechanics as some sort of uh, canvas that I can uh, uh, use to, to show some of the things that I'm enjoying. Okay. So it's you um Essentially, your inspiration is the world and other games, and the, the actual the actual challenge of creating something that represents that. Okay. Yeah, it uh, sounds a little vast, but um, no, it's great. Uh, we've heard similar answers, and some of the best developers say that. You know, what's what are you inspired by? I don't know the universe. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think one thing that's interesting about uh, game making is that. Uh, you you find inspiration in weird places. Yeah. Yes. So part of it for us with this game is you know we we had the mechanic pretty early on. We had the name for the game pretty early on, and then discovering discovering some of the science behind mushrooms and what they can do was like really interesting. And like we got a lot of inspiration from that. But I don't know if like that came. I mean that that came out of trying to figure out what we were making. It was like part of the process. So I don't think it was like we were inspired by mushrooms before and then we decided to make a game about mushrooms. It's sort of, you know, like we had these kind of empty, you know, slots that we could like, you know, like focus on and then everything sort of fit in place when we were like researching stuff. Um, and I find that like really interesting. Like every game that I work on that has like really interesting mechanics or interesting themes, just like, you know, finding out about like how, they operate in the real world or, or, you know, how different things that you wouldn't think about in terms of games like Micrology, like how they, like, influence your design decisions. Yeah, that's that's great. Again, just you might see something in a news article, a headline, part of a headline, and go, oh, that's interesting. I could do this or I could... Or you might see a shape on a, on a seat or a pattern on a seat and go... See that bit there? We could make that swoosh and then make a really interesting level bit that's quite challenging. And yeah, yeah. you're right. Yeah. You just see things and you just keep your eyes open. Right. And once it's actually really, really good. In fact, there's something I said before that uh, um, some of my best ideas happened when 
I misheard some or misread someone, you know, mm-hmm. you hear something, basically your brain kind of interprets it into something that is more interesting and relevant to your design. Yeah. And those are the best ideas. And apparently the person who wrote or, or said those things didn't even mean that. But like those kind of like uh, uh, repurposing uh, ideas uh, that you read or, or or see or, you know, shapes you see in movies, that's exactly, uh, that's, a, that's a big part of our, our sometimes even subliminal inspiration that we, we carry. Yep. That and uh, when you're in the shower. <laughs> oh, Moments of clarity. Don't just start so, it. Yeah, like this that. Is, I mean, honestly, a, the shower is a critical part of development. <laughs> there's, there's some. Yeah, it's. A, I don't know if it's, um, if it's, uh, it's obviously this is not just, uh, just me or just, uh, you know, just no, us. It's not. It's not. Uh, but it's definitely the, the best ideas don't nearly come when you're you're in front of the computer. No. Um, we are very lucky to have uh, a prospect park. Uh, Across the street, so we we do a lot of uh, walks when the weather allows it. Yeah. And so you know that's when you get the good ideas. That and the shower. Um, yeah, definitely not. I feel like almost every shower experience has <laughs> turned into some type of solution or problem solving or idea. So much so that I think if we move from here, we're going to install like a whiteboard in the shower. <laughs> yes, that's it's, great. It's no, really I'm using uh, I'm using the 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 steam inside the like the <laughs> to like write your yeah. ideas. Too. Yeah, yeah, seriously, it's amazing. You're in there for five minutes, like you are in there for five minutes. I'm there for twenty five minutes. <laughs> that's a bath, sir. Men on a bath. <laughs> that's it. I accept any any uh, <laughs> any naming for no for for me it's just I think I might be wasting too much water and I yes. apologize to to Earth but it's uh, it's for a good cause hopefully <laughs> yes yeah because you brought about this awesome game um so this next question is about your peers and I have a lot of hesitancy in answering this because you don't want to hurt anyone's feelings but I'm going to say anyway what developer do you most admire in the industry and why. So it could be a person, could be a company. I have so many. Oh, yeah. Start while I, know, I I have. Can I name a few? By all means. Okay. Uh. So. Okay. Uh. Wow. Okay. It's probably three right now that I can think of, but I'm sure a lot more. Uh. Well, four. Okay. Well, I'll stick to three. Uh. So. Uh. Henry Smith, who made um, a space team. Oh God! Yeah, what a, what a brilliant what a, game, and his and his talk about how he came up with the idea and everything just ma- uh, I have so much inspiration, and it just he yeah, it's just it's such an amazing game, and it's such a such an amazing way to discover like a game. And it's a great icebreaker. Yeah. Oh, yeah. People in the line, I mean, I, I'm a media, so I don't really line up for anything. But generally, when you're in a line, for whatever reason, and uh, it's just like, oh, space team, let's just try and get this. And when you get to the symbols, like, squirrely thing with a line through it. <laughs> it's it's awesome. Very good good choice. Who's next for your uh, roster it, of awesome people in the game? <laughs> um, Lucas Pope, just because I think he's done so much good work throughout his career. Like, he's known for Papers, Please, but 
I actually remember him most fondly by Helsing's Fire, which is one of his earlier works. And it's just such a brilliant puzzle game. And just to see him, like, you know, every, it's almost like everything he does just turns into a really good experience. And just having that kind of track record is really impressive. The touchstone point, isn't it? It's like a the milestone. That Papers, Please game. It's just, it's extraordinary. What it, it actually makes me, I, my anxiety is like, <laughs> yeah. I, I get so stressed out when I play that game. But Yeah, oh, I know, it's horrible. How can uh, I be a jerk? Okay, play this. <laughs> uh, Dan Cook from uh, Spry Fox, just because I, I love the art style of his games. I love the playfulness of his games. I'm obsessed with Triple Town and Alpha, Alpha Bear and Panda Poet and... Uh, so just yeah, another designer I really look up to. And then okay, one more, and then I'll yeah, stop. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Brenda Romero with her with her board games and her influence of trying to use mechanics to teach historical, um, in, in historically relevant like topics that are hard to talk about. And so she's been a big inspiration for me. That's what I love about games now. I've said this on the show previously. Again, sorry, regular listeners, but for you two. I've said we need more people making games who have no interest in Star Wars. <laughs> Please. That'd be great. And that's happened now, thank God. That's yeah. high. What about you, sir? What, what, uh, anyone who, uh, you, you think are like, oh, yeah. So, uh, name a list, but it's completely <laughs> random and based on, on, I mean, it could just be a more of an anecdotal list, but it's just think that people who, uh, mean a lot to, yeah. to my life and career. Uh, I would say um, uh, um, uh, almost chronologically for me, uh, Kim Swift, who made um, Nervacular Drop, which eventually made, became um, Portal. Yes. I saw that game in, I want to say 2006 or five. I can't remember, at GDC uh, Student Showcase. And I think that was... Um, one of the first times I've seen some like the, the potential in in how what independent games could could become. Uh, I knew that this was going to be huge, and it, I, that was a huge inspiration for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the same in the same way, more or less, uh, uh, Jonathan Blow. Yeah. Uh, so I saw Braid probably the same year. Uh, I think maybe two thousand. Well, when it's in his prototype form. Yeah, I, exactly. I was, I was so moved by that uh, mm. game and the experience and, and talking to, to that person who was not very known at the time. No. Um, and that made me want to, that made me want to do what I do. I used to work for another company back then doing things that, um, you know, more like casual stuff that I wasn't necessarily very proud of. Right. Um, and that, I think, Made me take the leap, right? Of faith and 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 actually do this as a as a profession. Embrace or, the chaos. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Um, and um, uh, Alexander Bruce, also someone who I met in um, uh, GDC, uh, presenting his well, the game that ended up being Anti Chamber. Oh, uh, wow, that game! I love yeah. the very beginning part where you walk on. Why am I going up on these stairs all the time? Turn around. What? Just turn around. What? Just turn around. <laughs> and it's just wonderful. It just messes with your brain. Yeah, that that is that is one of the reasons I um, 
you know, I like the person in the in the game is like the the this kind of challenging your perceptions uh, constantly. Yeah. Uh, but also personally, he's been a, a source of uh, amazing help uh, throughout uh, my independent career. You know, uh, giving all giving me a lot of ideas, a lot of uh, uh, constructive criticism, and actual help uh, showing the game. You know, and 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 connect me to some people. Um, uh, well, my list is gonna go very. I mean, I, I want to say the you know the people who made uh, uh, World of Goo, uh, Ron Carmel and oh, yeah. Kyle Gallagher. Uh, like everything that they do, and on top of that, they actually helped funding the game uh, through Indie Fund. Mm. And last person I would say is Ryan Clark. Right. Um, the guy who made uh, Nec- uh, Crypto the Necrodancer recently. Um, I didn't know it, but I was I was a big fan of him for uh, of his work for a long, long time. I played uh, some of the some of his early work, and I didn't even know it was his. So I've been following his career without even knowing. Uh, so, and that, that's a person who who has released a lot of games. You know, some of them more successful than other, and always persevered. And, and it's a it's a it's a huge uh, inspiration for me. Cool. That's a fantastic answer. I mean, I had a variety of answers. Some people just said sort of pause. It's like don't want to offend anyone. Go, Nintendo? Okay, that's fine. We'll watch uh, that. That's, <laughs> General, uh, but yeah, it's. Um, I have to say that uh, um, my long uh, move towards indie is being influenced by so many people. So I do feel like I've been forgetting a lot of a lot of very people in my life. But it's, yeah. it's it's hard to answer this one, especially guys like yourselves. But um, it's you know it's great to recognize those who have actually pushed you along both personally and also vicariously through their games. It's fantastic. So thanks for that. Oh, speaking, yeah. Um, speaking of games, um, uh, there's a segue there, although it's no longer a segue because I just called it that. Um, the last question of the first half, um, it's my favourite question because it gives me a hint. It doesn't, but it gives me a hint about what you're working on next. No, it doesn't, Chris. Um, <laughs> um, what are you playing right now? Ah, oh. the classic podcast question. What are you playing right now? You go first. I, I, I've seen you play a certain game for a, for a long, long time. Oh, I have two. Uh, Snakebird on um, Steam and uh, Subara City on my phone. Okay. Subara City good. is like a free puzzle game, and it looks like one of those like dozen of doesn't a bunch like casual game match three games, but it's not, and it's just the most brilliant puzzle game. Uh, I'm really in love with it. <laughs> and uh, Snakebird, I'll I'll, uh, I'll join Snakebird in. Snakebird is so cute, but it's yeah, easier. join yeah. That's that's a game that I also uh, can I can uh, uh, admit how well it is. I feel it's so brilliant. I feel it it might uh, you know. I feel it should be even more popular than it is because it looks much more cute and mobile, not uh, casual, uh, than it actually is. It's a brilliant, brilliant mechanics. Uh, one of the better puzzle games I've played in a while. And um, it just looks easy, but it is extremely hard and intelligent. Uh, yeah, well, you know, Frog Factions looked, you know, cute and 
Oh, you're right. It turned out to be completely bonkers. Yeah. Um, and it was like a great in-joke of the entire video game communities, like developers and create and consumers alike. Like, oh, this game's awesome. It's the best thing ever. Just play it. What? Just just play Frog Factions. What? Just just play it. <laughs> yeah. And and just experience it. And then you you'd say nothing else. Just say just go play it. Um, but um, no, I I. I'm thankfully I'm not into that superficial all oh, that I hope I'm not anyway. Uh, I'm into oh that looks a bit casual I won't bother. Um, uh, I've just got to play it first and if it is rubbish then it's rubbish. But you know if it's yeah. not it's not. So can you tell us a little bit more about the game? Uh, you so do. Snake bird. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, so you are a bunch of snake birds. <laughs> You're like little like. Caterpillar sneaky things with beaks on them, and <laughs> and uh, you you basically move each one in there. You can form their shapes so they're they're rigid, but uh, you need to uh, use their each other's bodies to climb or to wrap yourself around levels in order to eat fruits and escape through a little portal. And it's really brilliant in terms of like making you think about how you need to set up these positions for these birds and like how you like uh, each fruit that you, you eat will grow your bird one little section. So you have to kind of take that into consideration. Like which one do you need to be longer than the others? Um, and that's pretty much the game. It's very like, I guess, how would you say it was like te- Tetris, but with gravity and you're moving the pieces yeah, it feels like you've seen the, 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 some of these things before, but I really have—I really haven't. And it was—it was done very, very well. Um, okay, oh, I will—I will check them out. I'll try and get them on the show. Maybe people made it. Um, yeah, because that happens a lot. I get a game, play it, and like they need to be on the show. Happened with um, Old Times Adventure. I'm not sure if you know that game. It's—I um, uh, oh. I, I play. It's an infinite runner with this um, snowboard. It's brilliant. Oh, I can check it out. Yeah, cannot uh, stop playing that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. As a small disclaimer on your on the the last question is that uh, I personally and and well both of us we we had very little time to play and in fact I feel like that's one of the things I neglected for the past probably two years. I haven't oh, yeah. really played properly. Yeah, our backlog is pretty big, yeah, and I can't wait to get to some of these games. Like. <laughs> I finally was able to break out Towerfall because I've, I've wanted to play that game so much, and we finally like forced ourselves to take like an hour break on like a Saturday night and play that, and you know just try and make time for these yeah. games. I, I'm sure you you, you heard this sentiment before, but as a game you know game makers, uh, when when it, when we need to kind of like you know turn off our brains uh, after. You know, a long day of work, usually around ten or, or eleven. Yeah. Uh, the last thing you want to do is is actually uh, play. You know, you know, it's kind of like it's an it's an extension of work at that point because we are very critical to anything that we play. So immediately you operate uh, other parts of your brain. So for me, and well, it's actually particularly for me. Julian knows that when I stop working around ten uh, or eleven. It's mostly just you know putting something on Netflix. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I um yeah watch Blackadder or something like that. Um, oh, yeah. I, I I I can em- sympathise and empathise with this this problem. Um, especially as a, uh, a commentator on video games, it's very hard to 
to say, can you just let it go? It's not just video games then. I'm watching a film and going, well, that's a bit, you know, pacing's a bit off there and fighting's <laughs> terrible. And, and uh, just let it go. Or like the, the, the actor's not really, you can see the, the, the mask is dropped and you can see they're not really feeling it. And you go, oh, that's terrible. It's just, just, you know, delivery of that was awful. Like, I'm the worst person to sit next to in a cinema if I've been reviewing a game. I'm like, oh, just sitting there criticising everything. <laughs> yeah, we, we feel the same. I mean, as a, as a writer as well, and I can't, I'm going to say this now, I can't read the Harry Potter books. Couldn't do it. Because they're so bad. You know, and they're so poorly written. Like, it's terrible. And if you look at it objectively, they are badly written. Um, but it's just like, I can't read them. I, was like, that, I can't, no, no. Give it back to Dickens or something. God's sake, no. I'm not being this elitist person. This genuinely is true. They're bad. <laughs> but it's just... That's do? another thing we we have we have so little time. Well, I have so little time yeah. to even read. So I'm not. This is this has been. So one of my New Year's resolution would be to read and play more. That's for sure. Yeah. And there's a, 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 an abundance of games out there. I call it. I used to call it my pile of shame. Uh, but uh, another another developer um, actually corrected me and said, "No, Chris, it's your way of investing." In the video game industry, yes, right. Thank you. <laughs> much, much better way of putting it. Because right now it's snow capped, and I could rent it out for for ski lifts and stuff. It's so tall. Um, so, uh, <laughs> um, well, that's it for the first half of the show. Well done. Um, it's building up to a point. I told you there's a boss at the end. Um, we'll, we'll be fine. Um, and now we get on the second half of the show, where we talk about mushroom elephant. First question, it's the zeroth question. Yes, there is a reference to this thing, we probably all know what it means. Um, and uh, so the zeroth question is um, tell us about Mushroom 11. What is it? I so, defy you to describe this game. <laughs> so, Mushroom 11 is a puzzle platformer where you control an amorphous blob by deleting cells and they regrow for each cell you delete. So it always has the same mass. And you can cut and trim and split yourself into pieces and they will always grow back to their original size. Yes. And it's a 2D plane, just to be clear. 2D plane. Uh, A 3D isometric version of it. Maybe coming soon, but I doubt it right now. Um, 3D version, the Mushroom <laughs> 11 3D. Yeah, Mushroom 11 3D. I actually, you know, I played, I kind of like try to figure out if there's any way to, to how would you control such a thing when you don't have this like uh, vertical slice? Uh, yeah, I was just thinking of an asymmetric view for a start. Not I, a, yeah. I will look into that. <laughs> it might. The, for, the main, for the big sequel. 
Yes, it might just work. Um, <laughs> it's a brilliant, brilliant pitch. Nicely, very succinct. I think you've given it before. Um, once or twice. It's actually very hard to to pitch a game like Mushroom 11. And most of the time, because like when you say that, like people are like, well, what does that even mean? And I usually just give up and show them a Vine video. because. <laughs> well, I, I, I was about to interject in a rather glib statement. It's like, if you're really good at Photoshopping stuff... <laughs> <laughs> uh, trimming little pixels off of things, yeah. then you're going to be really good at Mushroom 11. <laughs> sometimes, yeah. sometimes the precision, I'm holding that right mouse button, then come on, I can do this, <laughs> come on. Um, because what I'm going to ask now is um, about, the, so this is the first proper question, brace yourselves, told you it builds up, um, movement mechanic of the blob, of green, goo, I believe is very challenging. You probably disagree, but I think initially it's... It oh, no, it's very challenging. It's a very different way of thinking about how you control a character in a game. It's taken away and put in... Take it, it's the taking away and adding I find fascinating. However, I'm just going to ask, what have you done? What iterations of the development have you gone through to make it as intuitive as it is, as I've found it to be? So that process took about three years. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I think the first, like the first, well, probably in two sections. The first is like how it technically works in terms of like the pseudo randomness of like where cells actually grow and where they don't. Cause it, it is random throughout the surface of the mushroom, yeah. but it is like, you know, tilted so that it usually grows the opposite of where you're deleting it. You're, it's not going to grow back where you just removed pieces and, you know, the, the, the areas like right next to where you deleted something have a lower probability of growth than the areas directly, you know, on the opposite side. So that in itself took about two years. And then it took another, you know, at the same time, two or three years of going through the first user experience, which is for us chapter one. And that is like, how do we teach this really weird mechanic to players in a way that like, you know, they, they understand and this movement becomes intuitive because moving the mushroom is just sort of the basics. And then, you know, when we go through the other chapters where that's when the puzzles and logic and other things start to kick in. But like just trying to get the movement to seem natural took a long time of playtesting. Yeah. My, my, uh, I was, I was astonished by the, some of the timing puzzles. I was like, you're doing, no, no, don't do this. I've only just figured out how to move this thing. Don't force me to do a timing leap. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, yes, I'm good at cannibal, but this is not cannibal. I can't do this. And there's some aspects of the, the, the game that just require you, amazingly, to actually go at speed with this blob. Um, otherwise, you'll die. Um, fascinating. When I saw that, I was blown away. Um, yeah. Oh, sorry. No, it's just like one of the things I love to, talk, uh, love to do in the game is what I call... Um, latching onto things. How can I put it? Basically, there's some parts of the level that uh, have a crevice or a, or a passage coming out of an outcrop. And when you do that, it actually gives you time to think, like, how am I going to get from here to there now? Do you know what I mean? Because you've actually, you've got this, you're dangling in midair almost, <laughs> hanging on to an outcropping. And was that something that, again, just came to be or is it something evolved as you as you develop the game um so i think the clamping and and latching onto stuff is like yeah. almost the the very basic thing that happened 
as always by by you know sheer coincidence of like experimenting with stuff um it's true one of the things that um is interesting about this game is that uh, <coughs> when we just made the the original prototype uh, obviously the first thing um we wanted to do is um is apply it in a platformer level um because that's that's kind of what um that that our, our preconceptions of what this game needs to be was a platformer with this interesting new protagonist, and then you know you put in some uh, some moving platforms and then it latches on one of them. It's like okay, that's interesting, um, and and now you you want to make everything about that. And in fact, you could see that almost none of um, the puzzles in the game. Can be done in with, with a standard platformer. Everything has to be unique in some way. Um, even the, the 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 times where you need to to uh, uh, jump between platforms, we don't do that that too too much. But even when you do, it's kind of like it's different from from what you would see in in other games. And the idea is that the idea that really time doesn't mean much in most cases. You know, you have this uh, this spur that you would just you know, run through, and then you have the time to think. And experiment. It's very, very important. Uh, but yeah, it was very. It was clear that we wanted to show everything that this thing can do. And uh, um, coincidentally, uh, if, without us even, uh, you know, pushing towards that, the game kind of started having this community around speedrunning. Um, oh, that yeah. impacts uh, Pr- Prime last year. All of a sudden, you know, people are like, "Oh, you know what? This, I can I can do this faster than you." Because uh, I was I was showing someone how, how um, you know how to you know get to the boss or something, and I did it pretty fast. And then he did it faster. And then all of a sudden, things uh, started moving around uh, that direction. And you know that some players want to do that. And we even added some features to to enable that. So that is. Uh, that's a nice little uh, uh, accident that happened as well. You right, know? like the the time in the game at the end is just for people who like to speedrun. It's not like we're saying, oh, you you know, this game is about speed. Yeah, it's it, put in because people were like, no, I want to know what my time was. It is interesting because personally speaking, my I'm an old fellow. I'm gonna put it out there. Sorry, my hand-eye coordination isn't what it was. Right, it's not. So speedrunning is not for me anymore. Um, but I'm an explorer. I'm a classic explorer type, archetype. Um, one of the reasons why I played WoW for so long, not because I wanted more stuff, because I wanted to see everything. Seriously. Mm-hmm. I only stopped playing when I actually saw everything. <laughs> yep, that's that's how I was with, with Heroes. I was I always picked the biggest maps, and I'd always go around just to see everything. Just to see everything. Yeah. And, and that's why I get out. And also the sense of reward of figuring out the bizarre puzzles because I want to ask you about the um, there's a risk reward element of Mushroom 11 which is quite obvious there's little organic objects that appear throughout the map little things, they're brightly coloured as opposed to what's happening around the the world mm-hmm. they're very obvious that they, they are there as a thing to collect um, how has the this been their placement been designed? Because there's some some of them that go, well, I could go for that, but I'll probably die. <laughs> so how have you managed to balance that versus you know? Because sometimes, quite frankly, because as an explorer, I'm not OCDing, if you will. I don't obsessively collect everything. 
I want to see everything. So I will miss a lot of this stuff. No offence to yourselves or your developers or the designers of these levels. So could you tell us a little bit about how that, how that, how you managed to integrate that? Um, so it's actually, it's exactly for, it's, it's kind of a, uh, there are a few elements that we use. First of all, it's, uh, it's just like you said, it's kind of like our internal point system. I mean, they have no consequence on the game itself except for being able to show how many of those you got. Yes. There are exactly 50 per level. Um, and they are used from anywhere to just show you or, or, or get you to feel uh, some sort of progression. Like, uh, you're, you're achieving things even in places where it doesn't seem like, uh, there's anything to achieve. Um, some of them are kind of calls to action. You probably noticed that as well. Uh, places that kind of like, we put something bright in a place that we want you to look at. Otherwise, yes. would, you might miss something. The save points especially. They're beautiful, by the way. I love that when they explode. Mm-hmm. It's just, um, it's such a lovely visual reward. Like, hey, you made that! Go you! You know? <laughs> yeah, it's, exactly. It's like yeah. The, the, I, the, the, juxtapo- the visual juxtaposition between the, the colors is very, very important as well. Yeah, there. And uh, on top of those, you know, uh, uh, markers, as, as, the, as we call them sometimes, uh, there are the, the ones that are uh, out of sight. Um, and usually there are anywhere between like five to ten of those in every level that are, you, can, you just can't see them if you just walk around. No, so no. you need to like look for those. Some of them are really hard to get, obviously, um, uh, and just come with little, little uh, sub-challenge. Um, it's kind of like a mini uh, achievement, you know. Like there's a you know one of the flies like could be really really high. Okay, it's not a big deal if you miss it, but what if you do? It's pretty cool. Just just try yeah. to do this. Um, so that kind of thing is uh, is kind of like a, its own mini challenge. And and again, and some of them are you don't even see. They're out of out of the way. They lead to some um, uh, chambers or tunnels or areas that couldn't otherwise go to. So just for you going to that direction, we want to give you a small gesture of our appreciation. Um, <laughs> and uh, there are even more secrets to this game. So there is, I mean, it, it is... Oh, no, a, I'm only touching on these. Don't get me wrong. I, mean, I don't want to give anything away. Um, that, so, yeah, I'm not even... I'm not. That's the last I'm going to talk about that. But yeah. basically... It is a, a, a mostly linear um, uh, puzzle platformer kind of uh, of adventure, uh, and uh, so in that respect, the playability is something that is a, obviously a challenge. You know, you if you finish a game that has X number of levels that you need to go through all of them, then then uh, uh, what else is there to do? So there, there's more. There's more. There are more secrets. You you probably missed a lot of things. Uh, and, uh, you know, for, for some people who really enjoy the, the little challenges like, uh, getting every single thing or seeing every little corner of the game or doing something faster, there's, there are more challenges. But definitely this is kind of a, um, you know, an adventure with a beginning and an end. It, it, it is, but it has lots of branches and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's akin to Skyrim in that regard, although, I love telling this story to people, and I know people have heard it before, but I, for me in Skyrim and stuff like that, I'm like a laser beam with regards to focus. Like, oh, look at this cave over here. No, no, I've got a main quest to do. No, no, come on, isn't it? No, 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 I'm just going to do it. I'll finish that game in 30 hours. 
It's done. What? Done. Done. <laughs> yeah, we, we had a we had a lot of kind of like uh, either internal or or um, team internal discussions on how much we can expand because <coughs> we had so many more ideas uh, and you know we have a we have a scene you know in our in our you know development suite. Uh, Unity, by the way, um, that uh, that has all the deleted puzzles, all the puzzles that we haven't used, and it's by far the biggest scene in the in the game. Bunch of puzzles that just I you know we didn't find place for them. They were uh, too hard, uh, you know, just thematically didn't work with the story, things like that. A bunch of those, and a lot of different ideas that we pursued there. They just didn't didn't make it into the game. Yeah, and right. we kept saying, all right, we'll, we'll put it in some other, like, we'll branch off, we'll, we'll open more tunnels, we'll, we'll do all these things. And it just, um, at some point you go like, okay, there's a limit to how much um, attention you can, you can provide to the things that most people will not even notice. So we'll be kind of like focused, which is something that is very hard when you're an indie developer. <laughs> yes. Very easy to get distracted. And, um, feature yeah. creep is something that's um, <clears throat> normally stated in a design team room, not in a, ca- a cafe amongst indie developers. But uh, yeah. it's it's a it's a thing that we have to uh, every every creator has to accept. And also something I always say is um, create creativity is extremely destructive. In other words, you have to throw out a lot before mm-hmm. you actually come up with what you're actually trying to hone. Yeah, um, exactly. So, and you have to accept that. You have to accept it because if you don't, you'll never get finished. Um, so the last question. I know all good things come to an end, but this last question. The setting is very bleak in Mushroom Eleven. I believe it's a post-apocalyptic world. Uh, things aren't, haven't gone well for the human race. Let's be, let's be fair. And uh, it seems to be post a nuclear war or some other catastrophe or a mixture of all things. Did this theme come about after developing this, the control screen for the green blob, or was it something? I mean, how early on did that theme come into being? The theme oh. for the game, mm. pretty yeah. pretty early, yeah. but uh, but the mechanic came first because the mechanic came out <coughs> of jam. Yes, uh, but even the you know game jam uh, prototype was kind of like you know inspired by Limbo, very dark and kind of like. You know, you know, very natural kind of dark forest. But uh, the theme came on pretty pretty early. I think we we knew we wanted a kind of you know post apocalyptic yes. world. But I think also even more than that, we were interested in imagery of nature sort of taking back deserted environments or taking back areas that was were once inhabitable by humans. And I think that really inspired us. Um, as well. So it was both, you know, your traditional kind of post-apocalyptic uh, imagery alongside kind of nature taking, you know, the process of nature taking over that space. Yes. Um, I mean, other things are there, but this mushroom appears to be, how can I put it, sentient. I won't say any more, but uh, there's something more to it. Uh, and uh, so, yeah. yeah, it's a, it's so it's so we were trying to play on that balance between showing no humanity and also understanding that the entire catastrophe is 
has some relation to humanity and its, you know, vanity. And that's something that you probably noticed uh, throughout. And yes, when, when you talk about the, the story of, of the game, and this is something that we've been, well, praised and criticized on um, in the last few days, uh, most, mostly praised, I want to say, uh, is that we decided to take a backseat uh, uh, talking about the story of the game. Uh, everything that you say, that you say, and you, the, your conclusions are based on you being, uh, as you said, you explore. You like exploring. You, you like to stop and look at what's happening, and yes. that's what we were trying to do. Exactly. We. It's, it's made for people like me. Sorry to, if you're not one of those, but I just love. A matter of times, I've just stopped and went, "What's that?" And you just read this big advert hoarding sign. Like, that doesn't look very. Oh dear. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. so that was like something we really wanted. We feel like it's much stronger for you to observe what happens and then fill in the gaps that you see between these different instances than for us to be like, okay, this is what happened and this is the way we want to tell it to you. Oh, yeah, because I mean, you feel like, you know, people come up with these, you know, kind of conclusions of what happened and, and answer questions or even ask questions to themselves. Maybe they're never answered, but those are, that's what's interesting to us, right? Like, who are you? What does it matter? Like, is it is it a post-apocalyptic world if mushrooms are surviving? Like, is it is it you know were were you did you cause this? Did you not cause this? Like, does that even matter now that there aren't any humans? Like, these kind of questions are what we wanted to get across. And uh, and, and, and what's coming next? You know, what's the what's the next evolution? Uh, uh, we we had a story, and you know, we we have a certain storyline in our head, and we we plotted it out, and we put in specific imagery along all of the levels so that when you go through, you know, it's not like we were just like, oh, we'll just throw in some random stuff. Like, we have a plot line. But it's more important, like, what players take away than if it's, like, the story that we told. Does that make any sense? It does. Um, well, as I said, I'm an explorer, so I saw this stuff. <laughs> and uh, I, I drank it in. And uh, it reminded me in tone of, of Braid in many regards, because Braid does a similar thing. In that it gives you weird poems, but doesn't actually tell you what's going on. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and I, I love that. Many people, again, you said you got pushback against it, and Bray got a lot of pushback against that too, because it was so obscure and difficult to comprehend. But quite frankly, some of the best media I've ever consumed has been obscure and difficult to understand. Because and Yeah, we, we were very much... Uh, we, we love, the, the, obviously, the comparison with Bray. Uh, Bray did it in a, in a kind of a different way. We, we decided to actually use words as little as we, we could. Uh, yeah. Use a lot of imagery, a lot of uh, metaphors, a lot of things like that. Um, and a lot of science as well. And yeah, I, I don't want to throw too, too much in it, but um, the science is something that we are particularly proud of. And, and probably nobody would care. Hopefully, maybe someone would. But it's... We, we developed a theory uh, with scientists for everything, and it's all on the walls. Um, every all the the chemistry that you see on the walls, including some very articulate theories on what happened, it's all in there somewhere. Right. Um, so we we didn't just you know take Google images and stuff. Everything was thought out. All the images, obviously, there. If you try to come up with a chronological storyline, it's going to be a challenge because a lot of these things happen 
the same time, but in different places. So a lot of the things fit different parts of this story that we had. And as Julia says, it doesn't really matter because we put in all these things that we wanted to put in. Uh, we are not asking you to give us the answer of what actually happened there. It doesn't matter at all. Uh, it's more like a, a challenge that uh, you know we put in for the player to come up with their own you know mental image of what uh, this thing happened and what what happened to this world and uh and i think a big uh part of that uh, uh conclusion is you know playing the game all the way to the end all the way and and i think things fall into place they they do and i'm not going to give anything cuz the last thing I want to do as an explorer give anything away on that front but uh, yeah it just it reminded me of in some ways Portal as well because some of the you know scrawlings on the wall like all oh, the cake is a lie and there's many more other things many more things that were said there too it's, it's very dark and depressing <laughs> you know things have gone really really bad in the realm of Portal and similarly here and also there's some nuance a little bit of nuance in the blob itself because you actually look at it closely, there's some stuff going on inside there. Like, what's that? <laughs> and you just there was any more, but and then you go, what was that? It was <laughs> just like you get a flash or like that weird. What's <laughs> what's that? I won't say any more, but uh, you know what I mean. Um, but uh, no, it's fantastic. But I, I love that. It's just it treats the audience with intelligence. Why is that so hard for people to understand? <laughs> we're crediting you with some intellect isn't that a good thing I don't know I I hope that came you know that came through this is this that was very very important to us um, I it's almost like a, a small uh, change in our game making scheme uh, I feel like a, a previous game uh, I was kind of uh, you know uh, pushed into making things easier or, or like more palatable mm-hmm. in a way that I didn't, uh, I didn't know if, when, if you need to please your audience, I, I feel like sometimes mm-hmm. you just need to follow your instincts. And, and, uh, again, I, I really hope that people see it as, as clearly as we do. Um, and uh, I, and I appreciate that what you say because it it really means a lot uh, that people understand. It. Or if not, get inspired by you know the stuff that <clears throat> is around it, like you know yeah. mushrooms, mycology, and, and studying up on that would be pretty cool if people like followed through with that. And the very least, get better at Photoshop. To say, so on that rather silly note. Um, Julia and uh, Ty, uh, thank you very, very, very much for being on the show. Uh, Mushroom 11 is out now uh, on Windows PC, Mac and Linux. Is that right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. A, a funny story. When I first started playing it, I picked up my controller. Silly man. Uh, I didn't know. <laughs> Why can't I play this? Oh, right. Yeah, that won't work. Um, but it is, a, it is a mouse control game entirely. Um, not entirely sure how you do it any other way. Well, actually, it would work with a touchscreen, but that's between you and any other mobile device. But right now, it's a Windows and Mac and Linux game. Are you gonna launch it on on tablet or two? Or because it would work very well, wouldn't it? 
Yes. Yeah. yeah. So again, nothing that we can um, announce, obviously, no. but um, this is uh, something that we we felt uh, very early on production. We felt that this would fit um, mobile controls. Uh, mm-hmm. Some of the design decisions in the main game, in the, the PC game, were um, based on on those realizations, um, uh, on like how how this game would work if you had to like you know touch the screen and cover the screen, and, you know the the things that you gain versus the other things that you lose by by putting something that obstructs the screen, yeah, um, things like that. Uh, but so we have a plan. Uh, we don't have a release date, but definitely there's there's a there's a plan to go um, towards tablets and, and phones. Cool. I just I think it needs a bigger screen though. Thankfully, phones have now have larger screens. Even the iPhone yeah. is fine. Yes. I'm still trying to get used to my uh, it's like six inch phone. It's like yeah. how how are you supposed to <laughs> bigger than my head? It's yeah. Just, yeah, it's, yeah, it's ridiculous, isn't it? But I think it's good that they've gone that way because I find them easier to use, uh, says the man. It still owns a 5S because I'm looking for a 6S Plus with 64 megs of RAM or gigs RAM, please. <laughs> I can't find them anywhere. There's nowhere. Anyway. Um, yeah, I just upgraded to 32. Uh, uh, I feel I feel like I can breathe again. Yeah, I had a 16. And like, I'm fed up with this no space. It's so yes. Yes. <laughs> so I'm going to go to 64. What the hell? Yes. Screw the expense. So, uh, as I said, uh, thank you very much for being on the show. It's been fantastic. Love to have you back on with your new project, whatever it may be in the future. But I'll thank you. Do thank wish you so much. You, wish you the very, very best of luck in the uh, launch of this game. It's fantastic. People, you should play it. Stop, stop listening now and play this game. <laughs> and, um, yeah, thank you very much for being on the show. Yeah, uh, thanks, thanks for having us. Thank you. And so ends another episode of the Sausage Factory. Do leave us an iTunes review and you can also, don't forget, listen to us on Stitcher.com. So just go to Stitcher.com and you can stream the show from there. Just look up the Sausage Factory and you can find us. That'd be great. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris O'Regan, no apostrophes. And uh, if you want to email me, any feedback on the show or actually you're a developer who listen to the show and want your game featured on it please do email me at chris at spong.com bye